You know, I'm the kind of guy, I guess I said, I'm real proud of my sport. That's the first thing I want to say for 16 years. Probably kept me out of jail when I was a kid. And the WWF has done more for me than uh, anything in the world. But I've made a decision. I'm in the peak. Of course, I'm in the peak of my career. But I'm going to Hollywood, and I'm going out, man. I'm going to give it 110%. Uh, anytime I ever fought, I gave 110%. And sometimes you guys are chucking eggs at me. And, and sometimes... Uh, Sometimes you weren't. Sometimes you're chucking roses. Didn't matter to me. I, I give 110% then, and, and I give 110% at anything I do, and, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give it a try, man. I'm kind of a gutsy guy. We're, we're proud of you, Roddy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And I know who you are, because your name's written on the back of the chair, and I'm assuming that that's there so you don't get lost. If, if the questions are too hard for you, I will try to bring them down a little so you can understand. I understand big body, little, tiny, weeny brain. I, I ain't never had no friends in my whole life. I'm like the same thing that, but nobody likes me. I don't care. That's the problem. You know, Mr. T, you come out with this kill song, trying to make fun of me, and never once, never once in my life have I painted myself black and shaved my head trying to look like you. I'm talking to Cindy Lauper. I'm going over there. Hello, darling. No, I won't have a date with you. I'm sorry you have beer on your breath. And she's going to... She's a woman. She's a woman in the but ring. She's a woman. I'll tell you something. If you slap me, I'll knock you off. What is the future of for rock and roll and the wrestling connection? First of all, it's garbage. It don't belong in the same category. I don't want these skinny little cakes around me, man. I'm a man. I'm a true man. What is the future of it? The future of professional wrestling is me. The future of rock and roll is down the toilet. <laughs> I hate all of you. And the best part about it is I get to pay you all back in one single night. I don't even have to meet you one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Let's take a look at you. Here you are. You shave your head on both sides. See by your orange. What you're doing is you're supporting all these wonderful children. It's not a house and they look up to you. But you looking like that. Who's with wrong The children of American today must be sick to look at someone. We don't want to call you guys any trouble because we know how intelligent you are. You're a very ugly person. You're really a very stupid. I am very handsome. You really are a very stupid person, huh? You know, you couldn't get a bag with a $100 bill on your forehead. You do not throw rocks at a man who's got a machine gun. And welcome to yet another episode of the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast. I am your host, with the most, Emerson Whitner, joined as always on the other end of the line by my co-host, my partner in crime, my person that I call on Wednesday nights and talk to for 90 minutes about wrestling, my brother, Brian Whitner. Brian, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, okay. Okay, you say? Yes, okay. Great. You, you sound like you're ready to go to war, Brian, because that's what we're here for. We're going to the war, the battle of January 24th, 1988, where the NWA put on their uh, the first real pay-per-view, because Starcade got shit on by the WWF, putting on their first real pay-per-view, the Bunkhouse Stampede, and to compete against that, 
Vince put on live and free on the USA Network, the first ever Royal Rumble. So we're going to talk about both shows, what was good, what was bad, the best, the worst, the in-between, and bad booking. <laughs> um, that, that's being nice. Yes. Uh, and plus, I'll talk about some Tough Enough, and Brian's got some trivia questions to answer. And on top of that, uh, next week, by the way, I'm um, ask Brian to give me a number between 1 and 26, and he said 13. And so next week, we're going to be reviewing the 13th SummerSlam, SummerSlam 2000. Yes, I'm super excited for it. Yes, you didn't sound that excited when I told you on the phone today. I was out of place. Huh. Whose fault is that? Yours. Uh, maybe. Well, before we get too far into this, now all you people who listened to our Halloween Havoc review last week, uh, you might have noticed that due to some technical difficulties, it got cut off before we could bring you the review of DDP and Goldberg. So we had a couple options. We could replay the entire podcast for you, uh, complete with the finish of the show from last week, but that wouldn't be fair to you people who stuck around for 71 minutes. Instead, tonight, tonight, at the top of our second hour, at 11 o'clock, we are going to bring you, for the first time ever, we are going to go back in time to last week, and we are going to play in its entirety the review of Diamond Dallas Page and Goldberg tonight at 11 o'clock, Brian. I'm excited for it just as much as you are, Emerson. Oh, yes. And you know, the, just for the great fans of the Wrestling Outsiders podcast. Great fans that we have, yes. Now, Brian, there is a reason why I came up with the trivia game. It's because our friend Guy was going to join us. And you led me to believe that he was going to be uh, with us all day today until an hour ago when I spoke with him, and he told me he's not able to. So, great. Hey, man, I went to sleep at, like, 4 o'clock. He said he might be on, so. Uh Uh-huh. So with that in mind, if anything will play, oh jeez, guess we good if I turn up the volume, huh? Yeah. Let, let, let's try that again. This is a live show. That's right. It's time for Brian to answer his first set of trivia questions. I dove into the memory bank. I dove into the history. And I have eight questions for Brian to answer tonight. Brian, how many do you think you're going to get right? At least six. So Brian thinks he's going to get at least six right, so let's uh, keep track of it. And now what I did 
was I took two questions from the 80s, two from the 90s, two from the zeros, and two from the tens. And they do right. get progressively harder as it goes on. I'll get the easy ones right and the hard I mean the easy ones wrong and the hard ones right. That's usually how it works with you. True start. All right, so you ready for we're going to the nineteen eighties to kick things off, Brian. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. What was the first title change in WrestleMania history? Wasn't it tag team titled WrestleMania 1? You've got to be specific. What was the match? Oh, uh, Beefcake at Untime versus Force. That is incorrect. Okay. It was she no, the Bulldogs. What was that? Versus the Bulldogs. No. It was Sheik and Volkoff over Windham and Rotundo. Wow, sorry. So, 0 for 1, Brian. Okay. All right. Question number two. Shake that one off, Brian. Question number two. What was the first title change in SummerSlam history? Dean. Correct. All right, so one out of two, Brian. And we'll come back to the next set of questions in a little bit. And I forgot to tell you, you have a 20-second time limit on each question because we're not going to be here all night. Oh, thanks. It's only now. Well, so Bunkhouse Stampede, live on pay-per-view from a half-full Nassau Coliseum. Now, about 6,000, 7,000 people. Now, on the TBS show that preceded this, uh, it was a two-hour TBS show, um, and they during the show, they built up a match between Mike Rotunda and Sting. Now, Brian, tell me, did Mike Rotunda and Sting wrestle on the pay-per-view? No, they did not, Emerson. They did not. Were Mike Rotunda and Sting even mentioned on the pay-per-view, Brian? I do not believe so, dear brother of mine. They were not. Uh, But instead of Mike Rotundo and Sting, you know what match we did get? Nikita Koloff and Bobby Eaton. We're starting with the worst match ever. It was Uh, kind of television. Yes. Now, this match went 20 minutes, and in that 20 minutes, four things happened. Four. <laughs> Only they four. Did a high spot. They did a high spot where they punched each other out of the ring seven minutes into the match. A few minutes after that, Bobby got thrown into the ring post twice. A few minutes after that, Bobby did a drop kick off the top rope, and then they did the finish. Four things. Now, in between that was literally, I'm not making this up, it was literally one rest hold after another. Well, 
Nikita is a kind of big guy, so you need lots of uh, downtime. Well, Bobby he- Bobby Eaton was both the challenger and the heel, and Tony Schiavone is doing time cues, letting him know how much time is left. And Eaton put on the world's biggest, the world's longest arm bar. He there was five minutes left when he slapped on the arm bar, and he literally didn't let it go until there was a minute left. Uh, Koloff made his comeback with less than 45 seconds to go. They punched each other. Koloff hit his Russian sickle and had pretty much had the match won when the bell rang. So Bob Eaton looked like the world's biggest idiot for not even trying to really win in the last five minutes. And it ended up as a 20-minute draw. Why? <laughs> yes. To make things better, Stan Lane came in, and the Midnight Express double-teamed Nikita, which was not only the most entertaining part of the match, it then led to make you believe that they're going to have rematches. They did not. Yep. Uh, Bob Cottle pointed out that this was a great match that every – and what the hell did I write here? That was every, oh, yeah, this was a great match that was everything they were expecting it to be. If that's what they were expecting, Jesus Christ, it never should have been on TV. Agreed. The the best part of this though is Bob Cottle and Jim Ross are standing there talking about the show, in standing in front of the camera when a man just walked in front of the camera and stood there for several seconds. Fifteen seconds of fame. What do you expect? Yes. Uh, then we got uh, about for the prestigious, prestigious. Western States Heritage Championship. My question is, do they have a, a Northern States Heritage Championship? How about, How about, an, Eastern, about an Eastern States Heritage Championship? How, how, about, how about a Northwest? Like, why is it just nope. that? Just no. the Western States Heritage title. And no, Barry Windham defending the belt against Larry Nabisco who had Baby Doll in his corner. Now, yes. the story of Baby Doll is actually a funny one, Brian. You know that? No, I deny. I'm saying, please entertain me. I shall. Hopefully, you know, cause, bring some life into you over there. Uh, she's no, a very no. tall woman. You may have noticed that while watching. And actually, she wrestled as Andrea the Giant as an indie star. Well, stars pushing her, but still. She was originally hired to be Tully Blanchard's manager, and it was a it was a joke that t- because Tully Blanchard was looking for this all time classic beauty beautiful woman, and he picked this woman who was much taller than he was. And you know this is going to be horrible for me to say, but this was the point of it. She was a very kind of a beastly woman. You know she wasn't supposed to be very attractive, and Dusty didn't let the fans know this, apparently, because the fans took to her as actually being a perfect tan and a model. So Dusty had egg on his face. So, of course, uh, when Dusty saw how popular she was, Dusty immediately turned her baby face and sided her with him. And then Baby Doll made the biggest mistake of somebody who was 
being pushed as a main event female manager, Brian. You know what that is? No, what? She fell in love with a jobber, Sam Houston. I don't know who Dusty was expecting her to fall in love with. Maybe she thought that, maybe he thought that she'd fall in love with him or some shit, but, you know, like literally, she got into a relationship with Sam Houston, who is was pushed as a jobber his entire career, and because of that, Dusty had her turn heel and ended up with Zabisco. I got the uh, this match, much better than the opener. I'd like to point out the yeah. Zabisco stall was more entertaining than the opener. Um, we did get absurd. Yeah. We did get absurdly long rest holds, but at least Wyndham takes pride in his performance. Uh, the referee got squished in the corner, and Larry KO'd Barry with Baby Doll's heel for the win. What do you think of the match, match. Brian? Yeah. I, it was probably the best match of the night, uh, at least on this pay-per-view. That's pushing it, this all four matches suck, so yeah. Oh, come on, Brian. Up next, and this is where I switched from the WWE Network to my DVD, because uh, the WCW Master Tapes, uh, some of them were not in the best condition, so... You'll, if you watch a WCW pay-per-view on the network, you know, there will be times where they'll say, you know, this uh, has been edited due to technical difficulties, but it's presented in the most complete form possible. Like Super Brawl 5, it starts halfway into the first match. Or in this uh, case, in this case, you literally went from the ending of the Zabisco win, uh, yeah, Wyndham match into like five minutes into the world title match, and so I, and so I popped that off and just put in my DVD of the pay per view. Makes sense. Not that I missed anything, but just for posterity's sake, I didn't want to miss anything if I had. So we get, so we get Brian the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Ric Flair, the Nature Boy, the five-time at the time world champion, versus Ooh. Hawk of all people. I, I love I love the pause. I'm not gonna lie. Road Warrior Hawk. Yes, that Hawk. You know, <laughs> that, like seriously. Luger, no. Wyndham, no. Any of a million baby faces on the roster, no. Road Warrior Hawk. And Brian, Road Warrior Hawk got winded very quickly. You think? Yes. Uh, This was the Ric Flair show where he had to carry Hawk for 23 minutes, which just is amazing that, you know, he did the good job that he did with it. Um, Hawk made his comeback and was doing the most half-assed chops you've ever seen in your life, and I was convinced he was going to whack Flair in his eye. Yeah, go figure. 
the ref got bumped again when Hawk clotheslined Flair and kept walking forward and clotheslined the ref as well. Um, and the ref went into a coma for like the next five minutes um, as Hawk had Flair pinned multiple times. J.J. walked in with a chair and placed it next to Hawk's head. And then Hawk no-sold that vicious shot. So Flair hit him with a good one and made the cover. The ref woke up. Hawk kicked out. Finally, Flair just said, fuck this, and hit Hawk with the chair in front of the ref for the DQ. Ric Flair yeah. could could not beat Hawk. It was very sad indeed. Uh, what are your thoughts on the match, Brian? Yeah. Uh, both people, people Flair as wrestle and the Hawk. Of course. Could be worse. Could be an uh, animal. Well, no animal is in the main event, Brian. Still. And speaking of the main event, you know, uh, they had to take some time to put up the cage. And so there are many things that they, they could have done. They could have went backstage and had a series of interviews perhaps with Flair and Hawk, perhaps with the people in the bunkhouse stampede. You know, there's a thousand things they could have done to fill time. You know what they did, Brian, to fill time? Whatever. Bob Cottle read the closing credits. Of course. No, seriously. He told us who the technical producer was and the director and the people in charge of lighting and there was a guy on there named Emerson. And was it you? It was not me, Brian. I was three years old at the time. You never know. And, Brian, you know, while they were taking a break, we should take a little bit of a break, Brian, because. Right. Yes, that's right. It's time. For the second part of the trivia challenge, Brian thinks he's going to get six right. He's so far one for two. We're going into the 1990s with two questions. Will he do it? We'll find out soon, Brian. Because yes, Brian, it's time for your, the second part of this. I have to get used out of that song, you know, Brian. Um, I, I think we haven't done it for a while, so yeah. Yeah. So you ready for the next question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, since these questions are more difficult than the 80s questions, you're going to have 25 seconds. Okay. And the clock starts when I finish okay. reading the question. All right. Who had the longest single reign as WWF champion in the 1990s? Nicole said our mother. I know that's wrong. (laughs) That is wrong. And you got uh, 13 seconds. Uh, Triple H went to 2000. Five, four, three, two. 
Shawn Michaels. What'd you say? Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. That I feel like I was right it. this time though. What? I feel like I was right the first time. What'd you say the first time? Diesel. Yeah, you should have stuck with Diesel, Brian. All right, Brian. So you said you were going to get six right, and currently one for three, which means you need to get the rest of them all correct in order to uh, win. All I'm right. Ready. I'm ready. Put me in, Coach. Put me in, Coach. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, so shake your head, Brian. You know, get loosened up. Here's the right. next question. Who was the first ever three-time intercontinental champion? Fifteen seconds. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is incorrect. Razor Razor Ramon. So one for four, Brian. You won't get to six. But we'll find out a little bit later, you know, just how far, just how many more than one you get. Okay. Bunkhouse Stampede. What was that? I said I'm very sad about my performance. We all are. I bet Nikki's sad, too. She's she said that I need a uh, performance enhancing drugs. Uh-huh. Well, Evans, if you were to get all eight right, we would have had to give you a piss test. So, Bunkhouse Stampede. Dusty Rhodes versus Animal versus Barbarian versus Warlord versus Arn Anderson versus Tully Blanchard versus Ivan Koloff versus Lex Luger. Lex Luger's the new hot baby face that the fans love and are ready to embrace and want pushed as the next big star. Dusty Rhodes is the booker, and people are resenting the fact that he puts himself over everyone. Do I need to explain? And the Bunkhouse Stampede is Dusty Rhodes' idea so he could dress up like a cowboy and uh, do clubbering. Do I need to explain who won the match? Sure, for the fans who are a little dumb out there. Like Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Nikki yelled Leave. hey before I said like Brian. Yes. Yes. Um, so you get eliminated by being thrown out of the cage, which is just a completely retarded idea. And I'm shocked it didn't lead to 50 injuries. Um, Use that word. I can sort of. Word. I'm sorry, what was that? Bad word. Shit? No, the R word. Bad word. Don't say it. Don't ever say Oh, God. Nicole straightening you with a timeout. <laughs> If I have to go into timeout, Brian, who the uh, who the hell's gonna do this podcast? I can do it. Nicole said she can do it. Damn it! I think you would have viewers or listeners. Nicole feels that she would have she would produce the highest listened to episode. 
Oh, great. So, I can sort of see the appeal of this match had the NWA done anything to make you give a shit. It's, you know, you have seven big guys and Tully Blanchard clubbering each other in a cage and threatening to throw people over the top of the cage onto the cold, hard concrete floor. There's something there that could you could be that sounds appealing. Unfortunately, this is Dusty Rhodes in the NWA. Nothing is appealing. Uh, the match was general chaos, and the camera work needed a lot of work. They were constantly showing people in the audience, constantly showing close-ups of things, so you couldn't see what was going on elsewhere. People were bleeding, and he had no idea why. There were just too many people in a, in this cage match. Like It would have been so much better if they kept it like other bunkhouse stampedes, where they were just battle royals with weapons. Uh, and so I was wondering why the hell they didn't just do that. Because it's Dusty Rhodes who wants to be bigger. Yes. So Dusty won, last shock, shock, surprise, surprise, last eliminating the war, I'm sorry, last eliminating the Barbarian to a chorus of boos from the Long Island crowd, and the show finished with the, ch- the fans chanting for a refund. <laughs> Uh, of course. Yes. So, Brian, that show was bad. That's pretty a nice place. Well, how would you put it, Brian? Not so good. Wow. I think Nikki probably would do a better job at this point. <laughs> probably not. Alrighty. So we'll jump right into Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble eighty eight on at the same time and from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Hmm. Oh, Canada. Smile by the land. Keep going. No, I'm good. Thank you. Are you sure? Positive. See, we haven't offended enough people out there. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, so Vince and Jesse are your announcers, and the show starts with Ravishing Recruit already in the ring posing. So let's jump into the opener. Ravishing Recruit, duh, versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I thought you were going to say Bobby the Brain Heenan. Why would I say Bobby the Brain Heenan? Was he out there with Rush and Rick Rude? He was not. Oh, damn. There were actually uh, no managers. Uh, Actually, no, there was Jimmy Hart was there, but uh, Heenan wasn't there. He was allegedly in Barbados. Uh, A vacation paid for him by the Million Dollar Man. Because uh, Hercules' is contract. No, Andre's contract. Andre's. Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. I know I'm right. Bastard. Um, so the announcers are debating what's more important for Rick Rude, winning the first ever Jesse the Body Award or defeating Rick Steamboat? What do you think is more important, Brian? 
That's a very tough decision for Sin. Uh, well, this match was very, this match was very basic, almost house show like, and not the thirty seven and a half star classic. I'm sure uh, some of you might expect from these two, uh, but Ricky Steamboat in a very basic, almost house show like match is still better than half the people we've watched on the show so far. Am I right? That'd be nice. I want to point out someone at ringside had a Jimmy Hart megaphone. And five minutes into the match, I wanted to go back in time and kick his ass. <laughs> uh, uh, Jesse, Jesse recommended that Rick Rude uh, cheat to take the advantage. Vince was aghast that Jesse would say such things since children are watching, which I know permanently scarred me. Um, let's see here. Uh, Rude... Uh, what, at one point, Rude locked Steamboat in the camel clutch, and Steamboat made a boo-boo, and when the ref went yeah. to check his arms, he let his arm fall three times. Since Dave Hebner had no idea what to do since that was not the finish, he let it continue, and Dragon got caught his arm before it fell for a fourth time. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the referee... Uh, Steamboat makes his comeback, goes to a flying body press, uh, but Rude pulls the ref on the way for our third ref bump on these shows. Uh, he puts the dragon in the over-the-shoulder backbreaker. The ref got up, called for the bell, and a popular finish at the time uh, where the heel gets disqualified but does something so he walks off thinking he's won, but instead Steamboat has won by disqualification. Yeah. Yeah. Very good opener, Brian. Yeah, it was a, it was a fairly decent opener. You're exactly right. And then we get Dino Bravo's attempt to break the world bench press record of 705 pounds. Now, Brian, you may be sitting there wondering why the hell they did this. Yes. Yeah. Like always. Uh, You're so smart, Emerson. Well, the reason why is because the following week, the NWA was going to do a bench press contest between the Road Warriors and the Powers of Pain, and because they're morons, they're going to have them use legitimate weight. And so, since none of the four could legitimately do more than 500 pounds, Vince then had Dino do a world record bench press using weights that weighed about as much as my laptop. And spoiler alert, my laptop does not weigh 700 pounds. Are you sure? Yes. Uh, so, so to make a very, 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 very long story short, Dino did all these preliminary presses, and then when they put 715 on the bar, Dino couldn't get the bar up, so, just, so Jesse reached down and pulled it up with him. Um, and so Mean Gene was shouting about how they did it, that, you know, he broke the world's record. Uh, and, of course, Vince is like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? He didn't do anything. Of course not. And that leads us to our second match, a two out of three fall match for the long-forgotten women's tag team title, Brian, as the Glamour Girls, Judy Martin, Leilani Kai, taking on the Jumping Bomb Angels, Norio and Itsuki, uh, 
Now, a few things about this match. Uh, the Glamour Girls won the belts in August of 1985 when they defeated Velvet McIntyre and Desiree Peterson. And, I, Brian, I'm gonna give, I could give you 15 guesses, and you would never guess where that title change took place. Pennsylvania. Nope. I'll give you one more guess. Boston. Egypt. Okay, then. Yes. Egypt. Interesting. Yes. Now, to make things even better, Vince McMahon became the worst commentator in the history of wrestling. Now, keep in mind, Monsoon would have done the same damn thing, but Vince is the person that, you know, is the one commentating this match. Vince didn't bother learning the names of the wrestlers. No, of it's course one, not. Why would he do something? It's one thing that Vince always, you know, was fond of never learning any wrestling move uh, created after 1970. You know, famously, all the matches had 15 water maneuvers and the one, two. He got him. He got him. He got him. Oh, no, he didn't. But this was absolutely, positively ridiculous, as he didn't even have to do research. If he was too embarrassed to even talk to the girls themselves, just check with payroll. What's the names of the girls that you pay? Preferably the ones that with Japanese-sounding names. Great. But no. Imagine I'm watching the G1, of course, and imagine if halfway th- if during AJ Styles versus whomever, they uh, the announcers are talking about how uh, they don't they had no idea what AJ Styles' name was because they don't speak English and uh, um, just referred to him by the man in black trunks. Makes sense to me. Um, all four ladies are, of course, wearing the one-piece swimsuit uh, outfit that all women's wrestlers wore back at the time, including Moolah and Mae Young. Thank God. Uh, let's see here. Judy Barton won the first fall, pinning Itsuki with the power bomb. Um, during fall number two, uh, it went a minute. It went like two minutes. And Nario pinned uh, Judy Martin with a sunset flip. And uh, after that, uh, Nario actually went for a perfect plex, but Judy needed her in the boobs. Uh, Leilani Kai is best known for losing to Alondra Blaze and Wendy Richter at separate WrestleManias. Hit a double, uh, hit a double under hook play for a two count on Nario. Itsuki with the worst hot tag of all time as she got it after Nario was kicked across the ring. And the Jumping Bomb Angels won the third fall and the championship when Nario pinned Judy after a double missile dropkick. Best match of either show, Brian, you think? Yeah. I, I enjoyed this match. Yeah, it's, it was very enjoyable. It is. Yeah. Um, it's like... It's either this or Rude versus Steamboat for best match, and that's and it's purely depending on your uh, taste in that one. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed this match. It was it was a very enjoyable match. Yeah. Um, so then we got uh, the contract signing 
for the Hulk Hogan-Andre the Giant match on February 5 in Indianapolis on the main event, which we did review last year when our plan was to re-watch every single Saturday night's main event ever. You can go back and listen to it somewhere. I'm... We we need to finish it up, Brian. I think we're halfway through. Yeah, I can't do it. What was that? I can't do it. Those Randy Savage George Steele matches killed you, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about for our hundredth episode? For our hundredth episode, we just watched five of them. No. <laughs> yeah. It'll kill you. Uh, so the, so the storyline is that Ted DiBiase's got a million dollars, and he's using it to buy anything and everything, and he wants to win the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. He's going to buy it from Hulk Hogan. And he offers Hogan so much money that Hogan could retire, take care of his family, take care of his uh, mother, Keep in mind, Hogan in real life made $30 million, and then thanks to his divorce and the lawsuit from the family, uh, that uh, son got almost killed when Nick Hogan crashed his car that time. He's almost destitute at this point, but still. Uh, Andre then agreed to win the title and sell it to Mr. DiBiase. And to make a very long story short again, the contract was signed, and then in the most hardcore angle you're going to see in 1988, Andre pushed the t- card table over onto Hogan. Yes. And to the shock of everybody, there was no sledgehammer hiding underneath the uh, table. I thought there was always a sledgehammer underneath. What the hell? I know, I don't know what to say, Brian. I'm too sad. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what to say next because it was the first annual Royal Rumble. Now, is that technically it's not? It wasn't the first ever Royal Rumble. Um, as a lot of you know, there was a house show in St. Louis in October of 1987, and the match flopped. It drew about 1,300 people. They announced ahead of time that the winner would get a title shot at Hogan the next month. And to make things even more fun, before they had this match, they were running down the card for next month and said that Hogan was going to wrestle a one-man gang. And, of course, surprise, surprise, who won the Royal Rumble, Brian? Axel Jim Duggan. Wrong Royal Rumble. Listen to what I'm talking about. One-man gang. Yes. And, yeah, so it, it sucked, but thankfully, you know, they redid it uh, here. They got a hot crowd. And it's kind of funny because, I mean, a few differences between then and now. There are only 20 people in this Royal Rumble as opposed to 30. Uh, and on top of that, it was all mid-carters and below. Like, Jim Duggan won, and he was the biggest star in the match. It would be like if they did a 20-man battle royal on Raw on Monday, and it was Dolph Ziggler and 19 goofs. And I'm sure that people now yelling at me, oh, I love Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler is great. 
I'm like, fine, whatever. But Dolph Ziggler is probably the equivalent of what Jim Duggan was at the time. And so imagine watching a 20-man battle royal where Dolph Ziggler and 20 people who are who are much lower down the totem pole than he is wrestling on Raw and be excited about it. Uh, now, of course, allegedly, you know, the, as always, the competitor is supposed to come out every two minutes. But, you know, that it, it depended on uh, how things are going in the ring. Because at different times, it varied from about two minutes. At one point, it was about a minute, 20 seconds. And at one point towards the end, it was 47 seconds between Ultimate Warrior at 18 and One Man Gang at 19. So it it was really just, you know, whenever they felt like putting the clock up there. Pretty much, yeah. Thumbs up. Um, And, of course, to, uh, for the record, Bret Hart and Tito Santana, for you history buffs out there, the first two competitors in the Royal Rumble. uh, And uh, Vince was hopeful that we'd hear from Hogan before the show ended. Um, Butch Reed came in at number three. And this was not the Royal Rumbles in the future where heels and faces fought each other. This was purely heels wrestled faces, faces wrestled heels, and, you know, you don't question things. Uh, and so, you know, the heels would have the advantage. Then we get baby faces coming in, etc. cetera. Um, Butch Reed was the first ever elimination in Royal Rumble history. Uh, and let's see here. Jim Neidhart was in early. They put in pretty much all the good workers early, you know, to get all the hard work out of the way. Uh, so you had, like, Jim Brunzel, Harley Race, Brad Hart, uh, etc. Um, what's with Nikolai Volkov's stupid gimmick? What was it? What's what's with it? It's like, it's like I, was, I don't remember him having this gimmick any other time, but like around this time, they were always talking about how stupid Nikolai Volkov was, and he would do stupid things like, you know, he's number 12, but instead of coming out at number 12, he tries to come out at number 11 with Don Morocco. Yeah. It's something else. Uh, At one point when Harley Race got eliminated... Uh, he didn't want to leave, so Dave Hebner gave him the Mike Tenay stern look. It still didn't make him leave, so Jim Duggan came down and hit him with a board. Uh, we had Ron Bass, Brian Blair, Hillbilly Jim. Everyone's Hillbilly Jim's always like the favorite to win a battle royal, but I don't think he's ever actually won a battle royal. I don't think so either. I could be wrong, though. Uh, Bret Hart is the first ever Iron Man. 25 minutes and 43 seconds until Don Morocco threw him out. Uh, Jake Roberts was in for 22 minutes. Uh, Junkyard Dog, by the way, was number 20. And uh, then let's see. It just, you know, they threw – after number 20 came in, it was pretty much everyone jumped out as fast as possible. Uh, And over the next – over the next minute 48 – uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six people got eliminated in the minute 48 after JYD came out at number 20, including JYD. So, yeah. 
the final four, yeah. one-man gang, Dino Bravo, Jim Duggan, and Don Morocco. Uh, Morocco single-handedly was beating on both heels until Frenchie Martin jumped on the ring apron. Gang clotheslined Morocco from behind and sent Morocco packing. Uh, so Bravo held Duggan so Gang could charge. Duggan moved out of the way. Bravo took the clothesline and jumped out. And it came down to two men, Jim Duggan and one man gang, Brian. And Jim Duggan won. Uh, By gang God. Went, By God. Gang went for a clothesline. Duggan basically fell down and pulled the rope down with him. And Gang went uh, craning over the top to the floor. Jim Duggan wins the Royal Rumble. Jim Duggan, Brian, is going on to get a guaranteed WWF Championship match at WrestleMania 4. Well, that's a lie, actually. It wasn't a guaranteed title shot for the winner. It was just bragging rights. Jim Duggan, by the way, did get a title shot at WrestleMania 4, Brian. Yes, he did. He was just him and how many other people? 31? Uh, There were 14 people, including one-man gang, Dino Bravo, uh, Morocco, and I think that's it. Oh, and uh, Jake Roberts. Oh, and, and Butch Reed. So six yeah. of the 20 people got shots at the WWF title at WrestleMania. Well, Tactile would complain. I know. He worked long and hard all 15 minutes. Yeah. He was out there. Um, bitch. Uh, Hogan came out for an interview uh, basically saying that he was pissed about Andre and he ripped his shirt off because he was pissed. So I pissed off and pissed on. Yes. And then we get our main event, Brian. Yeah. Two out of three falls. The Young Stallions versus the Islanders. Hmm. And of course I'm not joking. No. Sadly, you are not joking, folks. He is not joking. Wow. This match was so boring. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my God. Like the first fall allegedly only went seven minutes fifty-two seconds, but I think it had to go at least twenty-five minutes. It was longer. It felt longer than that Nikita Koloff. Bobby Eaton match. Oh, God. Yeah, that's and so the first fall ended with Paul Roma flying outside of the ring and injuring his knee and being counted out. Now, during the break between the first and the second fall, Young Stallions hobbled to the back to work on Roma's knee, so Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase, and Virgil all came out for an interview. And thankfully... Andre did not start ripping off his clothes when talking about Hogan. Thank Jesus. Yeah. Um, But the best part was Craig kept trying to uh, finish up the interview, and so Andre just screamed at him. I'm not not Hogan. (sighs) But then, sadly, we then got the second fall of the match which went another seven minutes. And fans were fans were running out of this arena so fast it wasn't even funny at this point. Uh, 
and uh, Roma got pinned the second time. I didn't even see how the finish was, but Badlanders won in two straight. The uh, uh, a half crab. It was it was a Boston crab. Okay, so use Lance Storm's finisher there. He tapped out. Yes, he tapped out. He tapped out. So that was the Royal Rumble. And if you watch the show in reverse, it was a pretty damn good show. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had to watch the match in the or watch the show in the correct uh, order. And not so much. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so well, I think we've already discussed it, Brian, but what do you think the best show or the best match of either show was? I still like the tag team match. The women's tag <laughs> match? Yeah, yeah. I mean like you said, uh uh Steamboat and Rude Steamboat and Rick Rude was up there, but yeah. Uh, what was the worst match? Oh, God. <laughs> Probably Nikita and uh, the tag team match at the Rumble between uh, Islanders and Young Stallions. No, it's still Nikita Koloff and Bobby Eaton for me. <laughs> that That tag match at the end there, you know, it, we watched it, we reviewed them in the right order because we started with shit and we ended with shit. But oh god, that was some real shitty shit that we started with. Uh, uh, which promotion put on the better card, Brian? I, see, I'm biased as I always like the Rumble. So, I mean. I, I have to go with the Rumble because that's always one of my favorites. Which show would you say made you more excited for upcoming storylines, angles, and matches? I don't know. That's a tough call. So you're telling me Royal Rumble didn't get excited for Hogan Andre 2? Well, yeah. Yeah, it did, I guess. You're right. And... But if we were to be fair, what exactly did the uh, Bunkhouse Stampede get you excited to watch? Absolutely nothing. You're right. So it's safe to say that the win, we got to give uh, the WWF a win in this one? Yep. Yep. Give the good guys uh, another win. And, of course, you know, uh, the NWA, they were going to do the Crockett Cup on pay-per-view, which is why they kept plugging it. But then they ended up not doing it because this showed the shitty buy rate. What a shock. And so the next pay-per-view they did was the Great American Bash with Luger and Flair, which did a pretty decent buy rate, all things considered. But it still wasn't enough to get them out of uh, all the red ink. And then I'm selling to Ted Turner, and the rest is history. And, of course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, any last thoughts on our two shows, Brian? No. God, no. <laughs> uh, Are you sure you don't want to say anything else? Uh, thank God it's over. Better? You know, thankfully, you know, I'm not trying to, like, encourage Brian to say something so we can get up 
uh, to the top of the hour before I get to Goldberg DDP. Oh, um, it, it was a very good. Um, it was a horrible review. It was a very good horrible review. Um, I did not look forward to uh, to me doing it. So uh, yeah, I was, I was super looking forward to it ending. Especially the Rumble, considering I watched it yeah, about twenty million times now. So yeah. I, I mean, it was it was. I held my breath when Gino did the uh, world record bench press. What else can I say about this match? This is this thing. Yeah, it was a good time. Wow. I'm really just going to have Nikki do the show with me from now on. That, <laughs> okay. That'll probably be a lot more entertaining. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's go back in time now. With no further ado, we're going to go back seven days, Brian, and we're yeah. going to talk about Halloween Havoc 98, the main event, Goldberg versus Diamond Dallas Page for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship of this entire planet Earth. Now, All right, main event time. Goldberg versus Diamond Dallas Page. Best match of the night, Brian. I agree, Emerson. It's rare that you can say that about a WCW uh, main event. Sure, sorry. What the hell are you playing now? No idea. <sighs> Leave it to Brian. Here at the end of our 75-minute marathon of a podcast. This is a rather long podcast, Rob. Oh, no, it's not. Our show normally goes 90 minutes. Really? Yeah, yeah go figure. I remember thinking Paige was going to win this match, and I think the fans thought so, too. I actually talked to Paige at WrestleMania 28 about this, and he agreed, and we both agreed that the fans would have accepted it had he won. Now, of course, everyone complains that Paige only got his push because he was friends with Bischoff. It wasn't really over. Well, for those people out there who say that Paige wasn't really over and no one ever accepted him as part of that main event tier, I give you the... In my opinion, the defining moment of Paige's career, not when he won the world title, but when people thought he was about to win the world title. When the fans went nuts when uh, Paige hit the diamond cutter, and it almost, and they thought he'd won the world title. You know what happened, Brian? They thought wrong. Goldberg kicked out of two. Uh, the whole point of the match, you know, Paige, Paige carried him. Yeah, you know, at this point, you gonna honestly, this may have been Goldberg's best match ever. Yeah. I mean, really. Because Hunter did a shitty job years later, and no one else in W, no, he's never put in the room with anyone else in WCW to have a great match. And Brian's not checking out Time Hop, because that's really important right now. Snitsky! It's not his fault, Brian. 
And so anyway, so Paige worked over Goldberg's shoulder, including Goldberg spearing the ring post, which is why when Goldberg went for the jackhammer, he couldn't quite get him up, and Paige turned it into the diamond cutter. Um, the finish actually, uh, the entire uh, finish is all the fans go fucking apeshit. Paige signaled for the diamond cutter, but got speared. Goldberg went for the jackhammer, but Paige hit the diamond cutter. Goldberg kicked out. Paige went for a souffle, but Goldberg overpowered and hit the jackhammer for the win. Mm. And that was the finish. What do you think of the match, Brian? I thought it was a very good match. Like you said, it was definitely Goldberg's best match of... Possibly his career. Yeah, possibly his career. That's a good possibility. I feel Paige should have won it. Um, Maybe not cleanly, but... I don't know. I don't book the matches in WCW, obviously. Yeah. Oh, WCW is still main business today. Yes. Yes, they would be. Yes. Now, you've seen the TNA spoilers. WCW is still in business. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. DDP should have won. The streak should have been over. Thus leading to a triple threat match or whatever, with three-way jams or whatever they did, three-way matches at Starcade with DDP, Nash, and Goldberg. Why? Yeah, because Nash would have won World War Three the next month, and Goldberg would have demanded his rematch, and the match would end at fault, a bad finish. He wouldn't have had Goldberg just beat 59 people by himself in the Battle Royal. He'd rather have him be a whiny bitch and demand a title shot. Yeah. WCW would have been business faster at that point. Nope. It would have been business for 10 years. Mark my words. Quote to Brian, nevermore. TNA, there's the same time we do. Check it out. It's WCW. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So, pay-per-view. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Thumbs in the middle, more up-ish. It's thumbs down going to the middle for me. Main Opener and the main event saved the show. Well, hey. And when Ravens in the second best match on the card... And Goldberg, when Goldberg's in the best match in the card, you know, you got something there. All right. So that's it for this week. That's right. We're not done yet. We've still got some show to go, and we're here to discuss the next series of questions. We've gone to the year 2000. Brian is going to have to answer the next two questions. Now, Brian, you're one for four. Yes. What? You you thought you were going to get six right. And so far, the the best you can do now is five. How do you think you're going to do? I think I'll do fairly well. How many? I, I, do you, I, think, I think I'll bring it home. You think you're gonna like get all all last four questions? Uh, we'll see. I I hope not to disappoint my fans out there. Okay, so since you know these questions are going to be harder, I'm going to give you 30 seconds on the clock. By God, King, by God. And the clock starts when I finish reading the first question. 
Okay. Who did Vince McMahon legitimately fire on the last episode of Nitro? Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett is correct. That's two, Brian. Woo! Well, before you get too excited, you got one more here. Okay, I'm ready. I'm pumped. Who was the last WWF champion before they changed their name to WWE? Triple H. Triple H, incorrect. Jericho. The answer is Hulk Hogan. Ow. I had the right time frame. <laughs> Hulk, I was saying Triple H. Fuck. I think Triple H could have been the right time frame for 15 years. True. <laughs> So, Brian, you watch Tough Enough? Nope. I was sleeping. Well, I was at the Weird Al concert, but, you know, I DVR'd it. So did I, but I just don't have, I didn't have time today to watch it, Emerson. I worked. Well, you know, Brian, you have all week to watch pay-per-view. You don't have to watch it on Wednesday afternoon. I, I understand that, dear brother, but I was I, I was not watching the pay per view. I was sleeping. Because if I did uh-huh. not take my power nap at noon, I would not have made this show. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so I never did watch last week's show. Um, I did see that Mata got voted off, and uh, Miz saved Amanda because Miz thought she was hot. Um, and that now the story of this show was Vince McMahon wants ZZ off the show because he realizes that if this thing continues as a popularity contest, he's gonna win hands down. Yeah. And so the whole point of this show was to edit everything in a way to make ZZ look bad. Um, and would it work? I guess we'll find out here in a few minutes. Um, Everyone talked about Amanda being saved because Miz has a crush on her. ZZ started talking about how nobody likes him, which then led to everyone telling him off. Tanner told him off. Josh told him to go cry. ZZ is like saying that he wasn't fat. He's thick. Uh, So then we got our first stupid challenge of the night, which was actually doing cardio in the ring. So at least it was wrestling. And now they've been training now for seven or eight weeks. And uh, let's see here. Uh, going through here. Uh, they, they split up into teams to do, you know, a drop down and a hip toss and a body slam, shit like that. So they've been doing this for seven weeks, and they never bothered to teach them how to sell yet. So Amanda gives Chelsea the body slam, and so Chelsea sells a little bit to, you know, make it look great. And so Amanda starts freaking out because they haven't taught them how to sell yet. So uh, 
you know, she's just trying to make her look bad. Like, for the love of fucking Christ. Uh, Billy Gunn, of course, is yelling at ZZ for his cardio. Um, Sarah Lee even did a, a hip toss well. ZZ was the only person who did a crappy hip toss. And so the judges literally went out of their way to compliment everyone else as they did it before they crapped all over ZZ. Um, of course, that's what they did. Yeah. Even when they did compliment ZZ, it was all backhanded compliments. Like, things like, wow, even ZZ did a good job. Shit like that. Mm. Uh, Sarah nearly dropped Gigi on her head with a body slam. Um, Gigi complained that, you know, could have broken her neck, which came back later when Daniel Bryan screamed at her. Um, Back at the house, we got the... Oh, yeah. um, Amanda complained that they haven't been taught how to preen to the crowd, so Chelsea's just showing her off. They're showing up. Trying to show her up. God damn it. Easy for me to say. So back of the house, Josh and Tanner are discussing a scene from last week where Tanner uh, did not make a move on Chelsea when they were both in the hot tub. Um, So Josh taught him how to have game, which was entirely Tanner hitting on Josh and talking about how hot uh, the female Josh was. And Josh is 6'8", 275. Yeah. (sighs) Meanwhile, Gigi and Sarah are bitching because... Sarah almost dropped Gigi on top of her head. And then we got the Ridiculous Challenge Part 2, where, because it says so much to do with about wrestling, the seven of them were split up into two teams, and they had to go into a burning building and pull out a dummy and put out the fire. Why was it their job to put out the fire? Damn if I know, but they made a boo-boo, Brian. That was a good entertainment. No, no, the boo-boo was that ZZ is a volunteer firefighter on the outside. Yeah, go figure. Yes. So, of course, ZZ looked good, but it was still that backhanded, oh, wow, even ZZ did a good job compliment. ZZ's team won the challenge. They uh, put out the fire and rescued the victim in the quickest amount of time. And to make things even funnier... Somehow, when they showed the winning team celebrating, they didn't show ZZ. <laughs> it it was so ridiculous. That's all I got to say. I was actually amazed that, you know, they even showed, you know, they even had a winner of the competition since it meant ZZ won. It would have been funny if they just would have, like, like completely uh, didn't show who won the contest. Yeah. Uh, so then we went to commercial and came back from commercial with Josh and Tanner telling Zizi he's going to be in the bottom three. And then Amanda and Chelsea bitched at each other some more because Chelsea was selling. I swear to God, this is the worst argument since the last time they had the worst argument of all time. Chelsea said Amanda's only here because she's pretty. Amanda said Chelsea is not pretty, so she's jealous of Amanda. Uh, ZZ then had the, wanted them to have a pillow fight, 
So Chelsea threw water at him. For the love of Mike, I don't know. So we go live. Jericho and the judges point out that all the girls just sit and bitch at each other the whole time while the guys are actually working together because when they're not bitching at ZZ, they're trying to help them lose weight for some reason. I want to point out the primetime players were in the uh, uh, fire challenge, and they may have been on TV for about two minutes total. John Cena is on TV next week. He's going to be on Tough Enough next week. I bet my last dollar he's going to be on for more than a minute. Probably like half the show. Guaranteed. Uh, So Paige screamed at Chelsea for selling because Billy Gunn didn't teach them to sell yet. I wanted to punch Miz in the fucking face at this point because he's just annoying as hell. Uh, Brian yelled at Georgia for... Uh, because George was talking about how she could get a broken neck from being dropped on her hip. And so Brian yelled at her. And Miz yelled at Amanda and said that he's going to put her in the bottom three. And then it was time to pick the bottom three. We had Chelsea. We had Gigi. And then Miz said that he was going to... Actually, they had Gigi and Sarah. And then Miz said he was going to put Amanda in the bottom three, but is going to save her again because she's pretty and instead put Chelsea in the bottom three. So, yes, the whole show designed to have ZZ in the bottom three to be voted out, and ZZ's not even in the bottom three. Nope, not even close. So we get ready for to reveal the vote, and they ask the judges if they want to save anybody because they allowed one save per season, and Paige, and, and Paige used her save to save Gigi, who would have been the person voted out because she got the least number of votes. Uh, But because she got saved, that meant Chelsea, the former uh, Daniel Bryan therapist, who slept with Daniel Bryan uh, and helped him cheat on Brie Bella with, WWE's version of Claire Lynch, was eliminated. What do you think of that, Brian? Many tears are shedding down my face right now. I was wondering where the hell you went. I'm like... No, I'm still here. I, I'm just in my closet looking for a good snack, and I didn't feel like uh, making a whole bunch of noise over the podcast, so I muted myself this time instead of having you do it. Brian's in the closet, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, are you finished eating your fruit snacks there, Brian? Actually, I did have two packs of fruit snacks. They're very enjoyable. Yes, I mean, are you finished eating them so we can move on to the next segment? Yes, next segment, please. That's right, because it's finally time to go into this decade, the 2010s, And find out Brian can win. Brian can have more than two rights. Because Brian is going to try to get to 50% tonight on these eight trivia questions. Brian, 
What are your what's your thought process on all this? I'll go into clearing open wounds and I'll take a W. I'll win one for the Gipper. Wow. Yeah. All right, so you've got two right so far. If you get both Woo! of these last if you get both these last two questions right, that'll give you four out of eight and it'll be fifty percent. But if you don't All right, so now the like I said, these are the hardest questions that I could uh think of and actually try to get an actual answer out of you. Thanks. So with that in mind, you're gonna have Forty seconds to answer the question. Okay. And the clock's gonna start when I finish reading the question. Alright. When TNA moved to Monday nights, how many episodes of Impact aired on Monday before they went running back to Thursday nights? Thirty seconds. Kill. Two. Is your answer? Brian, two is incorrect. They only made one, didn't they? Had nine. Really? Huh. I don't. I didn't think they had that many. Yes. All right, Brian. So the best you can get is three out of eight, Brian. Bad. Disappointment. So the final question, Brian, to try to get the three out of eight. How many different people were in Nexus? Oh, God. Thirty uh... seconds. Thirteen. Twenty seconds. How many was that? Thirteen. Thirteen is incorrect. No crap. There's only eight of them for a season. Why did I think ten? Well, there was only eight of them, but then uh, there was a total of 12 people in Nexus. Because the original eight people from NXT Season 1, and then... Then you had Husky Harris, Michael yeah, McGillagilly, uh, CM Punk, and Xavier, uh, uh, no, not Jackson. Shit. Mason Ryan. Mason oh. Ryan. Mason Ryan. Mason, Mason Ryan. Yep, that guy. Uh, that, yeah. So 12 people. And so, Brian, out of eight questions, you got two of them right. Which, my, course, God, that, my God, that sucks. Now, of course, the hilarious thing with you getting two right uh, and six wrong is that you thought you were going to get at least six of them right. Quiet. Okay. Uh, hey, I'll close on a couple. Yes. 
way you said two episodes of Impact on Monday, that was close to nine, closer than if you said, like, 38. Listen, I was close. I'm a couple. Ah, oh, God. So, you have anything else you want to talk about tonight, Brian? Uh, tonight? No. Possibly next week. Uh, that good, huh? Yeah. All right. So, next week, SummerSlam 2000. And then, you know, uh, whatever we're going to do the next week, not sure yet. Then the following weekend, the 22nd and 23rd, uh, not sure what we're going to do yet because you got the NXT TakeOver show on Saturday and then SummerSlam on Sunday. Uh, we may end up doing two shows that weekend. Don't know yet. Uh, we may do one for both, or we may just do on SummerSlam Sunday, uh, do both shows that night. We'll figure things out as we get closer. And uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. Brian, well, we don't have any beer here or anything alcoholic. We could get drunk right now, but instead we're going to show. I do have vodka in my fridge freezer. In your fridge freezer? In my fridge freezer, yep. Vodka fridge freezer, yep. All right. By the way, did you get, did you get my text? Yes. Wait, a second. All right, do you have anything else to the people? Good night, people. Say good night, dummy. Good night.